And we're officially live. Welcome back to another episode on Coffee with Craner. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Kevin Westgarth. Kevin grew up in uh, Amherstburg, Ontario. He's now living in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Um, he is a Princeton graduate. He played five seasons in the NHL as a right wing, playing for the Los Angeles Kings, Carolina Hurricanes, Calgary Flames, and successfully won the Stanley Cup in 2012 with the LA Kings. Now, he's at the National Hockey League as Vice President of Hockey Development and Strategic Collaboration. Kevin, thanks for rejoining the folks down in Windsor-Essex. I'm glad to have you on the show today. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Craner. It's uh, it's great to be here. And um, yeah, it's uh, looking forward to getting through this and seeing, seeing some more great interviews from yourself. Thank you so much. So, Kevin, where in, in Brooklyn, New York, would you say is your favorite place to get coffee? All right. Well, um, I think our favorite is, uh, I suppose, not not going too far out of the box, but it's called Brooklyn Roasters. And uh, we tend to be brew at home people uh, in, in the West our household. Um, they got to do a great job. And as you could probably guess, there are a lot of uh, mustachioed and flannel wearing uh, Brooklynites who are fantastic at roasting coffee. Awesome. So you're a big fan of coffee yourself. Needed to start today. With two little <laughs> awesome. kids, that's that's particularly true, just so I can get my energy level up to theirs. Yes, and, and I believe you have uh, one one child now, correct? I have two little boys, um, one coming up on five years old, um, Finn, and then Mac is uh, about three and a half. So we're in uh, we're in a lot of uh, a lot of wrestling and a lot of sports. Um, you know, much less getting them to school every day and keeping them fed and keeping their clothes on for the most part. <laughs> awesome. So, so Kevin, how did you really balance uh, playing college hockey and studying at uh, one, of, one of the top schools in the United States, uh, Princeton University? Yeah, it was, um, I, I would say that kind of growing up, uh, I was both a fortunate to, you know, even have the chance to be playing hockey and a lot of sports while, while, um, you know, going through school. But my parents, uh, they're both veterinarians, Red Doctors Reg Wesker and Gilda Poitras, um, kind of really um, focused on on making sure we, you know, focused on education and made sure that we were getting our grades, and that was always a prerequisite to playing sports. Um, luckily, like my brother and I were both pretty pretty good and well attuned for for school and could kind of get along and do them both. So it was really a lifetime of, uh, of preparation of kind of that time management. And, um, you know, it was definitely leveling up, but like in anything, uh, you know, you probably take your lumps, but you, you get better and you learn. And yeah, by the time I was a junior and senior, at least I had kind of figured out the, the rhythms and, um, yeah, it was always, uh, always a bit of a battle, but, um, you know, you have to get it done and, it was uh, an absolutely fantastic, uh, fantastic experience and fantastic preparation for, um, I dare say, parenthood, but also kind of life after hockey as well. So would you say that your parents, for the most part, really helped shape you into the person you are? Uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I look back at uh, what they did. As I said, they, they were veterinarians who also own their own practice. So not only are they kind of doing the, the job of, of animal um, doctoring, but, um, they also, you know, had the extra kind of business stuff that you'd have to take care of from, you know, running the books and make sure and 
making sure that your your um, employees are kind of happy and doing well and um it was it was you know Im- impressive as hell to especially look back now and like having our own kids it's uh kind of crazy i could be at it six or seven days a week yet always find time to you know come watch us play be it soccer after high school or you know obviously the plethora of hockey rinks throughout southwestern ontario and and into into the states that we would always get to um so yeah so much from the work ethic to um just taking pride in what you're doing came from them awesome it's great to hear and i think you know it's uh it's obviously shown throughout your your uh, achievements in Princeton and then going on to playing in the NHL. Um, but really, I guess, what point in your career playing uh, five five seasons, if I'm not mistaken, uh, where you knew you wanted uh, some type of career outside of, of playing hockey? Well, in a strange way, I would say even before that, maybe, um, you know, it was out, it, for anybody. It's always kind of a pie-in-the-sky dream, really, to, um, you know, play in college, but then play professionally at all, much less play at major league level. Uh, we have one of our our new kids, uh, our, our children coming to visit after his preschool. But um, uh, so strangely, knowing that, uh, you know, at Princeton, I kind of been looked at to get drafted, but I eventually went undrafted. Um, so I had time to kind of focus my, you know, was always, always passionate about hockey and always wanted to do something at the next level. Um, and that looked kind of as the, the four years went on, like it might actually happen. Um, you know, ultimately signing with the Kings as an undrafted free agent uh, at Princeton. But it really did give me time to kind of think about other things uh, I might want to do and find other passions. And those, those threads kind of continue through my NHL career. Um, essentially knowing that, you know, I was as much as maybe I would want to be a guy that was scoring 30, 40 goals and playing for 15 to 20 years. So my eye was always, uh, um, a little bit, uh, you know, around myself to see what I might enjoy, what, uh, what I could be, uh, passionate about, what I could add value to, um, in a life after hockey. So it, it, let's say you, you didn't go to the NHL or you didn't um, eventually become playing professional hockey, what do you think you would have done? Well, strangely, um, I was act- I actually went through um, uh, Princeton in psychology, but did the pre-med requirements. So, you know, may have uh, followed my parents' uh, lead, at least to become a doctor, uh, although I think I probably would have worked ideally with, uh, with, the, the human people as opposed to the animals. Um, and my wife always likes to joke that uh, like in college, there's, there's very little um, fighting in hockey. And obviously my role as enforcer, uh, I got to do that quite a bit. Um, so she kind of jokes that she kind of got sold a false bill of goods and that she thought I was a shooter. And, you know, a couple of years later, she's up in Providence watching me play for the Manchester Monarchs. And all of a sudden, dropping gloves and getting my first tilt <laughs> so it was it's like all of a sudden went from a doctor to a guy that fights for a living but uh hopefully i added to to the full full skill set for sure and was that a scary experience being an enforcement being an enforcer in the nhl um i i got to kind of 
build to it somewhat playing junior B in Chatham, um, kind of on my path to Princeton. Um, and so I'd kind of dip my toe into the water, so to speak, found that I was pretty good at it and found that I enjoyed it. And to be honest, kind of knew, um, you know, if, if that was going to be, um, if I was going to have an opportunity at the highest level, that was likely going to have to be part of my skill set, being a big guy, maybe not the fastest guy. Um, so it was something that I, you know, my, my dad was able to, I think like kind of pull a string or two. And I got to train at the Kronk gym uh, across the border for a couple summers during college to kind of, you know, get in just better shape, great shape and kind of work on that skill set. So, um, I'll say that the, the kind of lead up to fights and that type of thing was maybe never the most fun, but um, I always thoroughly enjoyed the fight itself. If uh, people don't think I'm too crazy, then uh, that's fine. But it was, uh, you know, it's just a very kind of pure experience of you versus me. I mean, and if you, if you want to be mindful, there's not much, uh, there's not much way to get much more mindful than uh, to be uh, having the, you know, having a punch in the face contest. Yes. And I, I, you know, it's a part of the game, right? It's something you had to do and you knew you had to do it um, in, the, in the NHL to have that career. And um, you did one, one heck of a job at it, Kevin. Um, but speaking of training, you mentioned you, you trained at a gym before um, going into hockey. We did have a question that came in. Uh, I'm not going to say who it's from. I don't want to give it away, but uh, somebody in Windsor, Essex, um, they may or may not know you. They're wondering um, who is the world's best uh, trainer? Oh man, there's no doubt in my mind that is the one and only Bill Nolan, living in Kingsville, Ontario. So, yeah, we had we had uh, just a bunch of great years, uh, kind of doing top to bottom training for for hockey preparation. Quite a great group. Steve Ott was in. We got to train with Stevie and or Otter and um, my brother and you know a bunch of other uh, great guys. And it was it was always a a great part of the summer, particularly. Awesome. Yeah. Bill, Bill says hello. And I think you, uh, you hit the nail on the head. That was, uh, that was definitely from Bill Nolan. Um, well, so, Jim, Jim McDougall is a close second for sure from, from the Windsor Essex counting area as well. So top awesome. two, top two trainers in all of the world, both from Windsor Essex County. Yes. And Jim, if you're watching your, your number two, um, uh, quick shout out from, from Kevin, uh, Kevin flipping the switch over to, um, later being hired at the NHL, what personal qualities um, do you believe you had um, and still have that, that allows you to be hired at the NHL? Um, kind of through my career, as I said, like I always had um, a bit of um, idea that, you know, I might not have the longest NHL career and was always uh, searching for, you know, ways to kind of grow. And I think that that curiosity and also, um, a little bit of that off the ice perspective um, really allowed me to, you know, find some opportunities and um, for better or for worse, I would say that the collective bargaining uh, during the kind of work stoppage in 2012 was a big one of those. For me, I got to, I had always been um, kind of a representative for the Players Association on most of the teams that I was on, um, really just to kind of, you know, learn more about um, the business of the, the game and and kind of what it really takes to put on these these NHL hockey games and a whole uh, and what it is all about. So um, learning about that and on the players' association side, being part of the collective bargaining, while obviously being very you know frustrating and disheartening for kind of everybody involved. And I'll say NHL, NHLPA, and I obviously know the fans 
who wanted um, to see you know hockey back on the ice. It was an incredibly educational experience. I, I knew it was important for the players, but also it was an incredible opportunity to just learn, but also meet uh, you know leadership at the NHLPA, leadership at the NHL, and um, and you know owners of NHL teams and. Throughout that process, I think uh, kind of the capabilities or attributes that I was able to show was kind of like a mutual understanding. I never thought either side was a bad guy. I never thought Gary Bettman was a you know bad guy by any means. Um, never thought Don Fear was a bad guy by any means. They're both incredibly intelligent and both trying to do the best by their constituents. Um, so I'd say that understanding and then also just kind of you know, the ability to digest information, but that curiosity and also, you know, just being able to get along with folks in a room uh, was, was, um, you know, probably a big part of why I got there. I got uh, to kind of get pretty uh, personally, um, I don't know, I guess, friendly with uh, the deputy commissioner, Bill Daly in particular. And that relationship was really the one that's uh uh, probably opened the door to the NHL um, career after my hockey career was done. So being involved with that uh, collective bargaining agreement really, I guess, caught their attention. Can you tell us uh, like a little bit about this this agreement that you worked on and, and gained that experience? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard fought. And I think both sides, as I said, like are you know, trying to it's it, it is a traditional negotiation no matter if you think you're right and have any objective truth on your side at the end of the day it is a partnership and both sides have to come to an agreement and um i think uh, you know it, it we one of the things i was very proud of on the player's side is uh, we actually established a defined benefit pension uh, for the players which um you know i think will be incredibly valuable and it continues today just to guarantee some of the longer term success for some of our players and um you know it it uh, it really was like a i almost want to say like a an education you can't pay for it was like an mba on the ground so it was uh, just incredibly enlightening and and uh, great to be a part of and honestly great to meet everybody on both sides well, yeah, it definitely must have been um, a real rewarding experience for you. And, and like you mentioned, led to your your career now um, at the NHL. Um, moving moving to your, your current role, what does a, a role of vice president of hockey development and strategic collaboration at the NHL include? I appreciate, appreciate the question. Um, as it can, can probably cover all manners of ills, but my, my primary duties... Um, are kind of revolve around uh, this basically assisting the deputy commissioner with managing our development league relationships. And that kind of covers from the AHL and ECHL, the top two minor professional leagues through college hockey uh, in the States, uh, division one NCA college hockey, and then kind of top tier junior, meaning, you know, the OHL, WHL and QMJHL in, in Canada and then uh, in the States. So, um, there's a strategic portion to it. Part of it just really is, you know, um, having facil facilitating communication between ourselves, but also between those leagues. We've run a variety of summits over the last few years to really discuss just how to improve both the player pathway, player experience, um, 
but also kind of heading into the business side of things like um, obviously this year has been particularly accelerating for for um, initiatives in diversity equity inclusion and being able to kind of essentially almost play a consultant role for you know helping leagues leagues shepherd their way through what they're going to do as the nhl has definitely had a um, spotlight on improving that from a fan perspective, a player perspective, really, really um, covers across the board. And it's been really exciting to be a part of, you know, just trying to grant access and exposure to, but also trying to improve, um, as I said, the pathway for those who are playing it and may end up in our league. So you mentioned a great point in um, talking about diversity inclusion um, in the NHL. What are you what are you proud of of this, some things that the NHL accomplished this year um, to that point? <clears throat> well, um, I'd say first, like it, it, the, the commissioner saw a couple of years ago that well, it, it's no secret that, you know, we have tended to be uh, limited just in access and exposure and traditionally white sport in Canada and northeast of the U.S. and basically Minnesota and Michigan. Um, that expansion of the NHL clubs have obviously helped with, again, gaining uh, exposure and access. And uh, a couple of years ago, a woman by the name of Kim Davis was hired, and she is just an absolute, I don't know what superlatives I could use to properly, she's just a rock star, and she's um, really been um, just essential and critical and kind of leading the conversations forward and and really rallying not only the NHL office but I would say the PA and all of our clubs um, and just be able to kind of tap into her and her team's expertise and kind of resources has been has been really valuable uh, to be able to shepherd a lot of these uh, um, efforts kind of in the right direction and um, just from the the number of uh, kind of program or well, I would say committees that are formed and I'm sure people have a variety of ideas of their opinions rather on what they think of committees, but it really is a way to absorb a lot of input from a variety of both stakeholder personalities. So it is um, a great and big step uh, in the right direction. And then coming out of those um, kind of um, groups we've we've gotten a lot of you know progress I think already across gender equity, LGBTQ our partnership with you can play with very closely my colleague Patrick Burks uh, and Brian Burke's son's heart, um, and then for uh, the BIPOC efforts I think it's continuing kind of every day and and really just trying to you know extend an olive branch but also. Um, you know, one of my goals long-term would be to just make hockey get a little cheaper, a little more, I dare say, sane and um, kind of reasonable to be able to pursue, regardless of what level your goal is. But I feel like anybody should be able to, uh, you know, try to achieve the dreams on that elite path. And, you know, hopefully we're taking those steps to get there. And it feels like we're heading in the right direction. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, Kevin. And I think, um, you know, thanks to your team and, and everyone at the NHL, it sounds like the NHL is moving in the right right path forward um, to, to be a more diverse and, and inclusive uh, game for everyone that's playing. Um, I do want to switch over to talking about some of your skills. Uh, what, do you, what skills do you believe has really uh, transferred from playing pro hockey to your role now as, as VP? Yeah, I, I mean... 
I, one of uh, the other, I guess, more passion projects and passion plays of, of my, my career now is, is assisting, um, trying to build more programs, better programs, initiatives, communication to, to um, improve the transition, improve life after hockey for, for hockey players. Because as we kind of talked about, I was fortunate enough to go to Princeton to always kind of be thinking about what else there might be to not be completely have my identity wrapped up in being a hockey player. And I'll say like even, um, and then to, you know, get a job at the NHL, it was still really difficult to kind of, uh, move from being a professor to to not um and kind of getting your big boy pants on and um going to work so um i understand uh, some of the issues with that transition and one of the biggest things that i would love to say like face to face to every guy i think i say this to every guy i'm talk to who's either just retired or thinking about retiring is like do not take for granted the kind of interpersonal skills, being the ability to work in a team, the communication, kind of the respect, um, and honestly, the empathy and compassion that you gain from playing on a hockey team. It's, uh, it, I suppose, these are generally considered soft skills that uh, are often, um, I think, undervalued by um, a lot of people, well, probably a lot of people in general, but a lot of people coming out of a professional um uh, being a professional athlete. So there, there's, you know, no end to that work by any means. And we, we have a lot of work to do. And, um, but it's, it's something that I think, um, is really valuable just to be able to sit in a room and hear others and also communicate your own point and, uh, be able to work with others as well for a greater good. Yeah. Well, it seems like there's a lot of skills that you gain and, and you mentioned, um, talking about, life after hockey or even those that i guess are pursuing the sport full-time whether it's it's hockey or it's another sport um sometimes education can fall behind um, career opportunities so if i guess they don't end up making it right it can be uh, i imagine it would be a difficult challenge to find some other career you'd have to go back to school or something like that I, i'd say that that can certainly work for some uh, others um it a part I think that I would also advise like for for you know those who are athletes is just to take advantage of you know kind of whatever level you're at like but just um I suppose it starts with like being kind and being essentially being uh compassionate with people which is is all in my mind kind of always step one I suppose ironic given my old role but um yeah <laughs> I was always a protector, I suppose, not the the uh, the act the act the instigator, but um, the <laughs> uh, the um, really just kind of collecting, uh, you know, grab a business card, shake that hand, I guess, in a in a different time, in the before times, but and just just make sure that you're um, you know being congenial with people, and because you never know where that opportunity may or may not or may come from. Um, and, you know, there's a ton of guys that, uh, you know, find great satisfaction and kind of great lives kind of heading into, you know, sales of some variety. I, I know I have a few buddies who went medical device sales. It seems like they really enjoy it. And that, again, is just like kind of understanding what you're doing, having that goal and then being good with people. And so, you know, so many guys that I've played with, so many people that I know that are in sports have developed those opportunities 
you know, you have a passion elsewhere that takes uh, an extra couple steps. Um, I think I'm stealing a line from uh, Matt Sundin, who kind of at one point said, retirement's really long. And this is a guy, obviously, that that made a ton of dough and had an amazing NHL career. But there is a lot of time that you have, and and there's no need to kind of um, to rush it. If it, it is going to take you an extra couple steps and almost an extra couple of investments to get to somewhere where you think you might want, um, invest in yourself and take that time to uh, to you know generate that new skill set or that new knowledge that, that can push you a little further. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, Kevin. And if you don't mind, I want to switch over just to some questions from um, the comments. Uh, Bill has a question for you. Uh, his question is, any advice to young players coming up with regards to playing junior college uh, hockey? And also, where would you recommend their focus be with training the offseason, um, given the changes in hockey as, as physical fighting goes? Yeah, you know, I think uh, the junior, I, I couldn't have had a better um, experience with my college path as has perhaps become obvious. But, um, you know, I think I think it does offer both, um, obviously, the ability to continue our education while playing hockey um, in the States, kind of along the pathway. Um, and it gives you gives players a little more time to develop. That being said, I don't think that's for everybody. And, uh, you know, it has been pretty great to see um, some of the huge strides that the um, CHL leagues have put into, you know, giving scholarships and opportunities for uh, after their, their major junior careers to players. Um, and, you know, for training, uh, I dare say I, I, I always found the, the kind of boxing, fighting training incredibly good. Um, just physical training anyway, but uh, it, it has been encouraging to see how much um, kind of, uh, I guess, science is starting to become put around it, um, which maybe hockey in years past, but it's, you know, it, hockey's the same as ever was, just getting better and better and like certainly focusing on explosive movements and being flexible and, and mobile is, is good, but never hurts to have a, a loose wire up there. Awesome. Well, well, thanks. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate you answering that question. And Bill, thanks for, for hopping on really. and asking the question. Uh, what, I guess, what final advice could you share with, with those looking? Um, maybe they want to be in your shoes. What, what advice would you share with them? Yeah. Um, you know, if it's, uh, I, I obviously had a bit of a, a lucky, fortunate, whatever word you want to use, but and also somewhat unique path. Um, you know, it's almost like anything, a world timing and, and luck and, and, uh, but being prepared kind of all came, uh, to the nexus of how I got to where I am. If it's a job in kind of sports management or sports in general, uh, the number of times I've heard, it's kind of like, you know, not unlike when I spoke earlier about investing in yourself, sometimes you're going to have to just take whatever you can get to get your foot in the door. And it's really, um, you know, the number of internships, it's still, it's just always going to be a very hard industry to get your foot into. So kind of whatever you can do to kind of get a line and get your foot in the door, uh, kind of do it and just prove yourself from there. Um, you know, it's always, it's always hard work and, and put in the time. So, uh, um, but it, it always helps to 
be thinking about what's ahead. Um, even if you kind of want to have your feet planted, start firm down the ground, always make sure you're looking a step or two ahead and make sure that uh, you're eating your, your choices as you go, because it's, um, you'd hate to wake up, you know, 10, 20 years from now and just like, didn't really want to do any. There you are. So it is uh, one of those things I'm constantly kind of challenging my own thought processes on like where I am, where I want to be and, and how I can get there. So that's it. There's no silver bullets, unfortunately, either. It's, it's really takes some thought and uh, self-reflection. Well, well, thanks Kevin for, uh, you know, sharing that. I know there's a lot of um, people that are watching right now. They're interested in sport management are currently in the field. Um, and, and wanted to learn more from you. Um, I, I know we went over a bit in time, but if, if you're okay with it and you have time, I have two last questions from, from two people from Amherstburg, if you're okay with that. Go for it. So uh, we often hear how playing in a small town uh, doesn't translate to success moving on to the next level. Um, having made the NHL from Amherstburg, what advice do you give to those small towns? Um, you know, I, some of the work I do is is kind of down the, the development pathway, and I, I do wish there was a little more, I think I use the term sanity, but um, to, to describe youth hockey, it, I, the biggest thing I would say is, you know, especially at younger ages, kind of like below 13, 14, like there's no rush um, to become that elite. I know it's a, you know, perception and reality can often differ from what you have to do to kind of make that next team. Um, so, you know, let your kids play like for as long as they can at just, you know, if that like getting, building their athletic or um, their, uh, their fitness and their physical literacy. Uh, Cause all, you know, a great book that I've read called range by David Epstein uh, probably distills it the most beautifully I've ever seen. Most uh, team sports and obviously hockey are, you know, spatial awareness and physical literacy are core to improving at them. Um, and actually a little bit of, uh, kind of by data, if you live in a smaller town, you're actually um, about six times greater uh, of making it professional. That was across sports a few years ago than if you're from a town of over 100,000 people. Um, a lot of that, I'm sure, has to do with that multi-sport participation, but obviously access, like you're going to have those same kids playing a lot of different teams. I think this question is probably more asking, it's like being a big fish in a small pond. At the end of the day, that's all becomes internal motivation. And if you can allow that kid to you know, continue to have fun, maintain his love of the game or her love of the game, they're going to be that much more internally motivated to continue to continue the their you know at the highest level of effort, which usually translates into uh, high levels of success. And doubling down on that, you know, they're going to have a love of a sport or um, you know whatever sport that may be for the rest of their lives that they can hand down to their own kids. So patience and and uh, and just enjoy it. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that answer. Um, and thanks, Bird Bouchard, for, for the question. Um, one final question, and then uh, I'll let you go, and I'll make sure that um, you can get back at, back to work. But um, Paul Bertigian, what would you recommend? Would you recommend undoing your chin strap before your helmet after scoring an OT series winners? <laughs> and then the actual question is um, uh, thoughts on young players jumping into AAA 
and not playing as much um, versus playing locally in an A or double A uh, center? Well, Paulie, I appreciate the first question. Hopefully it's something you have to deal with with the Admirals here coming up. Um, the That is a great memory. Playing with the Vortino brothers, uh, Paul and Peter, we got to win, uh, I believe it was a WEXA um, hockey championship. We played at Amherst, General Amherst High School, and we, we beat Villanova in overtime in the final Um I was lucky enough to be the one that put it in. And Polly is referring to the fact that I tried to celebrate and rip my helmet off and just about rip my whole head off because my chin strap was still on. <laughs> um, so thanks for that memory. Um, and and I, I'm kind of happy because I think I alluded to this a little on the, the first half of the question, the first question. Yeah, I, I think, you know, they're... The unfortunate thing is, as I said, perception, reality. Sometimes I think the perception is like, you know, oh, this kid didn't play on the triple A team last year, so he's probably not good enough. And um, diving into it, that is a little bit of why hockey has the, uh, I believe it was Mount Gladwell Outliers book where, you know, you had two times the chance of making it to major junior if you were born in January than December. And that, that, you know, is unfortunately kind of true. Getting on, you know, the on-ramp to the elite level can be a little self-fulfilling, but from an actual development standpoint, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's super important to have, or I think it's super important to be able to, you know, have fun with your friends, have that sense of community and at the A or double A level, ones that may, may not require quite the time commitment and that you're, uh, you know, able to play those other sports throughout the year. Um, you know, the, the toll on a kid's body um, when they're 10 years old, if they're playing, you know, 10 to 12 months of hockey is, is one that's not super helpful for the long run. And I also think the toll on their, their mind probably isn't for, again, maintaining that internal motivation. So um, there are special cases like, you know, you talk about no, Wayne Gretzky is my favorite. And, um, Wayne Gretzky is a pretty good hockey player. And like my favorite story, because parent in, in his uh, autobiography that came up, she's 31, 30 years ago, I think. Um, but he talked about how it was often talked it was often talked about how often he was out on his back, uh, you know, the rink that his dad, that Walter, that's some peace, um, built on his backyard. And, you know, parents would come on and like, you got to come tell my kid to like get out there on the rink and, you know, put in the same time that you did. And he's like, no, like I was out there because I wanted to. And like, that was, that's what you're trying to actually build is that, that, um, that personal sense of motivation and satisfaction with success. And, you know, Wayne Gretzky played baseball and lacrosse up until he, you know, basically was playing for the Oilers. So, you know, another testament to just having that what, what, you know, that well run development path. And, you know, that might not be as um, a doable, doable these days, but it's uh, definitely something I think you should put off as long as possible. Let your kids play and let your kids enjoy their, their experience with their friends as long as possible. And, Strangely enough, that might actually incentivize them to, uh, you know, once they get on that pathway to want it. Awesome. Well, well, Kevin, I, I really appreciate your time. We had a lot of uh, great questions. We covered a lot of ground tonight, um, talking before the NHL, after the NHL, um, your life now. I think it was great. And I really appreciate 
um, you joining the folks down in Windsor, Essex. I think we, we shared a lot of great stories tonight. And, and those watching Dan Pettipis, Paul Bartijan, uh, Bill Nolan, Bert Bouchard, all these great people that watched, uh, probably majority are friends of yours, people that know you. Um, thanks for being here, Kevin. No, oh, that's that's pretty pretty humbling to kind of see names that were, or, you know, as you said, our friends of mine, and definitely were pieces of the puzzle that uh, got me to where I am today. So, pretty pretty awesome. And Jordy Long, how about that? What's up? Um, no, this is <laughs> this is pretty special. Thanks a lot, Craner. It's uh, my obviously my be here and love to see what you're doing. So this is fantastic. Thanks, Kevin. We'll, we'll see you very soon. Um, for those watching, thanks for being here, and we'll see you next week.